Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on the Deeper Listening Podcast. My name is John Peru, and I'm here with my co-host, Justin Bruce. We want to help you discover new music from bands that you already know and bands that you don't. You know we're not music experts, but we are music nerds. Middle-aged dads here, guilty as charged, to enjoy discovering music, whether it's new or old. In this episode, we're going to be listening to Animal Collective. We'll use the idea of deeper listening to track their music from its sparse beginnings in the early 2000s to dominating indie rock later in the decade. We'll give the albums that you know context, and we'll look for the hidden gems that make being a music fan so rewarding. I've been an Animal Collective fan since 2007 when Strawberry Jam came out. John is more or less new to the band. Hopefully I'm going to convert him into a fan. We are going to run through five albums. We'll start with Sung Tongs. And we'll hit Feels and Strawberry Jam, then Meriwether Post Pavilion, and we'll finish with Centipede Hurts. It's not everything, but those are the five big ones, in my opinion. The goal of our podcast is walk away knowing more than we did before we started, and let's have some fun in the process. So let's do some deeper listening to Animal Collective. I had to describe Animal Collective sound. It ranges and changes a lot. The early stuff is noisy, it's primal. Some of their earlier music is more acoustic, guitar-centric, with hand drumming and almost like a campfire sing-along type vibe. Kind of vague lyrics, but somehow magically they convey lots of emotion. And then when the band evolves and grows more popular, the sound turns more brash layers upon layers upon layers with samples on samples on samples and at times it's repetitive and kind of trance inducing and then through all of this chaos every once in a while you'll get these sweet melodic bursts where hooks just kind of emerge from the noise but suffice it to say john this is kind of a dense band and you know you're dipping your toes in the water i mean really you just jumped in head first and yelled cannonball when you got into this discography i don't have a whole lot of bands that i can really use as a basis of comparison with animal collective the thing that i would say that is the the most adequate way i guess for me to compare it would be to to be to make a comparison to ambient music I really had to be in the right headspace in order to really take this in and and give it, you know, and and I think experience it in the way that it was that it was meant to be consumed. And so with that, what I'd like to do is jump into Sung Tongs, uh, which was, you know, where we started. This album came out in 2004. It took me most of the first listen to this one to even figure out like what was happening. Um, this album was an exercise in me dropping my preconceived notions of what music is supposed to be. I listened to it as a series of soundscapes, and I had to get over the fact that there was very little structure to the music. But then I started to appreciate it for what it was. And to me, this music requires you to be in the right headspace, like I was just talking about. One of the things that I thought of right away was Fiona Apple's uh, record, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, from last year. A phenomenal record, and uh, you know, a good primer for the next episode. Oh, deep tease. <laughs> Yeah, all right. We'll, we'll we'll go ahead and tease that one early on. 
But she is using objects around her house on this record in order to fill in soundscapes within the album. And I thought about that because there are so many just random things that I was hearing in this music that were put in that filled in the sound that you wouldn't typically hear in music. Um, I also immediately thought of Jeff Emmerich's book, I Hear There and Everywhere. He was the sound engineer for the Beatles, and he was describing, um, at one point early on in the book, he described uh, how John Lennon would ask for how he wanted his lyrics to be recorded. But of course, he couldn't do it in a straightforward way because his mind didn't work that way. So he would ask for things like, I want my vocals to sound like I'm shouting them from a mountain. You know, or, or something like that. So he, he didn't have, like, I guess the musical language to describe what it was that he wanted to do. So he would put a concept out there and then Jeff would be in charge of making it sound the way that he wanted it. And it immediately made me think of this because I spent so much of this album wondering, how did they do that? How did they make that sound? You know, like, like whose mind came up with this? I really, I took all this in and it struck me that I found myself oscillating a lot between this is just like, you know, a bunch of buddies that have made a bunch of noises together and put it to, you know, on an album to thinking that, okay, you know, this is actually just brilliant. And these are very accomplished musicians who, you know, who have done something that nobody has had, you know, nobody has had, I guess, the courage to, you know, to present before. So Sung Tongs was a lot like that for me. It was an oscillation between this is just ridiculous to this is actually really, really brilliant. And that's kind of Animal Collective in a nutshell. I started at a later point with Strawberry Jam and then listened backwards to Sung Tongs. And I thought, what is this? This is not really music. But you're right. These are literally four high school bros from Baltimore, two pair of friends who came together, their love of just making music with weird sounds. I mean, this is not drums, bass, guitar, and keyboards. This, everyone is described as a multi-instrumentalist and it's called Animal Collective. These dudes used to wear animal masks, including Panda Bear, who is, his real name is Noah Lennox. He lives over in Portugal and was already living there, I think, when Sung Tongs came out in 2004. Uh, Avi Tear, uh, that is Dave Portner's name, and this is the Jerry and the Bobby of Animal Collective, the two main creative influences. There are other important members that definitely have hefty contributions to Animal Collective sound, but Panda Bear and Avi Tear. You couldn't have Animal Collective without them. That's the John and Paul of, of Animal Collective, though. Indeed, but you couldn't have the Beatles without George Harrison, and you couldn't have Animal Collective without Brian White's. Uh, geologist. If you ever see an Animal Collective show, he's going to be wearing a headlamp, like a Spelunker's lamp, so he can see all his little weird digital machines, synthesizers, sampling machines, whatever, <laughs> laptops, whatever it is he's got on stage. And then the fourth member, Josh Deacon, uh, whose nickname is Deacon, really clever there, uh, but also a pretty equally important contributor, even though he does kind of come and go over the course of these albums that we're going to talk about. Now, if this were the listening podcast and not the deeper listening podcast, I might just skip ahead to feels and we might skip some tongs, but this is the deeper listening podcast. So we have to start early and this is where we're going to kick it off. It's funny. I was reading online. There were fans of animal collective, like early fans, OG fans who when sung tongs came out, thought this is a pop record. These guys have jumped the shark. I can't believe they sold out, which, you know, <laughs> our listening experience was totally different because we're like, is this music? What is going on with some of these songs? I love half a song tongs like a lot. 
And then there's another half of the album that doesn't maybe feel totally formed to me, but I think we both liked a lot of the same tracks here, including the opening few tracks, like track one, Leaf House. sounds really cool i figured this out on acoustic guitar it's in the key of c and it has momentum it's got that acoustic guitar feel uh some drums and not even like a drum set but like bongos or a hand drum and this is kind of classic early animal collectives sounds i did forget to mention so sung tongs is only jerry and bobby aka avitaire and uh panda bear uh geologist and deacon aren't a part of this uh, but this kind of feels like a uh, very formative animal collective DNA. And that said, track two, who could win a rabbit? <laughs> really kind of a little bit of an earworm. Like I mentioned, I'll probably use this adjective a decent amount of times, kind of frenetic, a little bit frantic with the vocals, some clapping. Reminded me randomly of riding along an old roller coaster, like a wooden roller coaster, where you're just up and down and up and down, but you've got that momentum that's taking you forward. Then I want to skip ahead to track four because I just love it. It's called Winter's Love, very delicate. This was actually featured john in a 2012 simpsons episode that was based on an essay by the author david foster wallace who happens to be pretty much one of my favorite authors i was just randomly watching the simpsons and i was like wait a minute this sounds like the david foster wallace essay a supposedly fun thing i'll never do again because the simpsons are on this cruise ship bart's having an existential crisis about what is life even about you have fun now, but you're not having fun later. What's the point? But I don't know if I've ever had a moment in my popular uh, sort of culture consuming self where I had three things come together and just kind of like hit me like an anvil. I, I have, uh, I've consumed a lot of Simpsons. So I know that at some point I've seen that and I'm sure that I'm sure that it was completely lost on me at the time. And you know, and maybe maybe one day we'll start the uh, the Infinite Chess podcast, <laughs> and we can and we can talk about we can nerd out about that one for a while. Because oh, that's, I'm, uh, that's... I'm your guy, part seventeen. Let's talk about the Enfield <laughs> Tennis Academy. <laughs> so yeah, how cool is it that a group of people that had a mind for this all found each other? I did, and I did really enjoy doing this deep dive. You know, it very it very much stretched what you know what my ideas were about what was music. And, you know, going back to some songs, um, one of the songs on there was called Kids on Holiday. Because of how I was listening to this, you know, it was on an acoustic guitar. It appears that it was played in, in drop D where they took the E string and, t- and tuned it down to D. And basically they just played like a drone that just looped throughout the entire song. 
And it's not, you know, like, it's not like two minutes of this. I mean, this is, it, it goes on for a bit. And thinking about that seems like it would get really boring, but this is Animal Collective, so it didn't at all. They layered so many other things on top of it. It was just like sonic texture after sonic texture after sonic texture that was laid on top of it. And it really came out in this very cool way. And then, you know, from there, there was another song called Visiting Friends, you know, and at times it made me think of a, a, fitter, a fitter Happier off of OK Computer. And, you know, because of just, I guess, because of the like computer voice sounds that were on there. But it is worth noting that during listening to this album, I found myself thinking of Radiohead a lot um, when I was listening to this. And I, I was really wondering like where these albums fell in context to so like, OK, Computer and Kid A. And, you know, and they, they were a couple of years later. So, I mean, to me, I don't know this, but to me, it, it seems almost impossible that this band was not influenced by Radiohead, at least to a degree. Yeah, I think so. And uh the fellas in the band, especially uh, I think A.V. Tear and Geologists are noted Grateful Dead fans, especially like late 60s psychedelic Grateful Dead. But I also think of Radiohead. That's a great example of a band uh, that in their heyday was constantly evolving and challenging their listeners. You made the Radiohead connection, I thought, of how everyone loved OK Computer, including myself. And that is analogous to Meriwether Post Pavilion, which we're going to talk about coming up. And then Radiohead makes Kid A. And the hardcore fans are pretty into it. I think a lot of people were like, Kid A sucks. Why don't you make OK Computer Part <laughs> 2? That is literally what happens with Animal Collective when they bust out Centipede Hurts, which we'll get to in good time. But even though the first half of Sung Tongs, I'm all about, it does... Uh, get a little spacey almost like a little unfinished is how it feels to me in the middle and the tail end of the album there's a stretch of songs uh, we tigers mouth wooed her good loving outside and what it i done which has like some weird peter frampton kind of vocal talks talk box uh, effects going on i don't even know if i would generously call these like songs per se so it Sung Tongs, if this were an actual record, side one, heck yeah. Side two, all right, getting a little getting a little weird. But this got an 8.9 rating from Pitchfork. Well regarded, even though when you listen to the rest of Animal Collective's catalog, then you go back to Sung Tongs, you think, wow, okay, this is pretty, you know, pretty raw. Which is why I think starting with Sung Tongs, you know, is a good point, but really feels to me, is kind of where we start to hit our stride. I love, 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 love a handful of the tracks on Feels. Like, might be some of my favorite Animal Collective songs. This got a 9.0 rating from Pitchfork. And we're not here just to parrot the Pitchfork ratings, but it paints a good picture, I think. I like that Feels has more forward momentum. It's less meandering and more fully formed. This is A.V. Tears kind of coming out party as a vocalist. A panda bear plays drums, plays like 
all other instruments as well. But there's a really palpable kind of back and forth conversation going on between Avitaire's vocals, which occasionally uh, lend themselves to more screams than singing, but and Panda Bear's uh, drumming, especially like his cymbal crashing. And these bursts of sounds are really one of the things that is super strange about Animal Collective when you start listening to it. But as it soaks into your DNA a little bit, it's what you come to love about it. Yeah, you know, for me, I con- I connected with this album much more than Sung Tong's on, on first listen. I think the es- easiest explanation uh, for that is the, you know, is the opening track. It just feels more familiar in the sense that there's a little bit more tangible structure uh, to what they're doing. Um, and I, and I kind of like that right away. If I'm, if I'm taking in the band as a total, the songs that did lend themselves to being a little bit more structured, I find I found myself liking more just because it was easier for me to relate to them, I think. Um, what struck me right away about the band in general was just in, you know, in the time frame that I had to take in the music, um, I know that it wasn't nearly enough for me to fully like wrap my mind around what was going on. This is, this is a band that I'm really going to have to spend some time with. You know, there's so much that's happening that you really can't just kind of casually listen, listen to it. And I would imagine along with that, there's probably very few casual animal collective fans. I would imagine that it's much like a lot of other bands that, that we listen to, where it's either, you know, there's not there's not a whole lot of people that are that are tepid about Animal Collective. They probably really, really like it, or they just think it's awful, one or the, one or the other. Your fishes of the world, your Grateful <laughs> yes, Deads exactly. of the world, your Black Licorice fans of the world. I agree with you. I love track one. It's got a rhythmic feel, organic momentum, which is a big word that I'm going to lean on. Uh, the vocal harmonies are like a moving, living, breathing thing. For so many years, I had no idea what many of the lyrics were. And I kind of prefer it that way because I could interpret them in my own way. Uh, and it's more about the lyrical delivery, I think, uh, than the words themselves sometimes and about the emotion that they carry. But I had mentioned that combo of AV tears, vocals and screams and panda bears drumming and cymbal crashing and boom, you're getting it right out of the gate here with Did You See the Words? And to go on to track two, again, if people don't like Animal Collective, they'll be like, what is this? Some screamo punk? Because A.V. Tear does. His voice will go from singing and then like bubble over into screams sometimes, which can be a little jarring. There's repetition involved in the music. So in this track, I mean, he's kind of screaming over and over and over and over. This is not like music to play for your family while you're making dinner. It's more headphone or loudly in the car music, Uh, but it's also strangely comforting. There's something inviting, intimate and primal and almost cathartic about it. found myself creating visual landscapes in my head while listening to this music and it was for me it came across in a way where 
as I was taking it in, it's like I would take, I would create things visually in my head that I would think about while I was, you know, while I was listening to it, which is, which is really, you know, kind of a, kind of a unique thing to this band. And a good example of this would be in Flesh Canoe. You know, it's this really odd combination where the music itself feels kind of cold and distant and almost underwater, yet the underlaid vocal harmonies are warm and, and you know, and they take the they take the I guess the feel of the entire piece of music to a completely different space. You know, it's very hard to not imagine that like Brian Wilson and the Pet Sounds era Beach Boys didn't influence a lot of this. You know, another thing that I liked about Animal Collective was that it made me think about a lot of music that I haven't maybe listened to in a while that, I, that I'm going to jump back to. And you get two music nerd points on your record because you mentioned Brian Eno, which is uh, noted and talked about Panda Bear influence when he was in high school. Big Brian Eno fan. And the Beach Boy comparisons, if not made directly with Animal Collective, are made a lot with some of Panda Bear's uh, solo productivity and will hit on some of those albums uh, coming up in a bit. You should host a podcast, John. Two music nerd points for you. Good call. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, you know, and it, it did definitely make me think of that. And then, you know, and then I started listening to following along with the album. I started listening to Purple Bottle. This to me was like a love song on mushrooms, right? Where it was like this, you know, some of the lyrics in the song are very sweet, um, but others are just extremely odd. You know, the music itself feels like has that like giddy, like new first love kind of feeling to it. Um, I really dug like the rhythmic nature of the song. And this was one of the few songs, you know, honestly, most of this music could have been sung in Mandarin and I would have had no idea. You know, I mean, I paid very, very little attention to, to any of the lyrics because, you know, for me, lyrics is almost always the last thing that I pay attention to when I'm listening to any music. And with this, there was so much sound to take in that I, I really... You know, there's a couple of places in this where the lyrics came through very clearly and I paid attention to them, but it was very rare. But this was one of the ones where I did pay attention to what was going on vocally. It doesn't necessarily matter so much what they are saying as kind of how they're saying it and how you feel when you hear it. But I remember the Purple Bottle being my favorite song off of Feels, uh, a lyric, and I don't even have this written down, but it's somewhere deep in the recesses of my brain. It's like, put a cloak of feelings on and they're all out. But just these weird little turn of phrases that stick with you. And yeah, you're right. This is a nice, sweet little excited love song sometimes you're quiet and sometimes i'm quiet hallelujah like we're not breaking any ground here but it does feel like you're being led into someone's psyche and in just classic weird animal collective fashion they finish purple bottle with like this unbridled chorus get that whoa get that whoa get that whoa over and over and over again and i mean you just it's hard to tell even <laughs> what these guys were thinking when they said, yeah, this is going to be a sweet chorus to finish this song. I just love how primal they are and how unencumbered 
they are. And maybe that's something that, you know, comes with playing music with your four high school friends and it comes with time, but that level of comfort that they've got to have with themselves and with the other band members and the freedom of, you know, the members can come and go, you know, it's not like, Hey, if we're not all on the same page in this band, the band is breaking up. So there is kind of that encouraging atmosphere, but that's really one of the sneaky strengths of animal collective is maybe the fact that they've created this safe, space where they can just get weird because when you get weird is usually when things kind of get interesting who knows what synthesizers they've got but you know you mentioned it almost sounds like they open the top of the piano here as we get into bees yeah i mean that was that was something that stuck out you know what it sounded like to me is that they opened up the top of the piano and just ran like a metal pick over the piano strings uh, and then made a song out of that I realize that <laughs> I realize that saying that it doesn't necessarily paint the most compelling picture, uh, but somehow they really do manage to pull it off, you know, and granted they might've been playing like an actual instrument there, but that was just the feeling that it kind of evoked for me. Um, when I was growing up, we had a, we had a piano um, that was my grandmother's piano and I used to mess with it all the time, you know, much to my mother's chagrin. <laughs> And then you get into, um, what is it, Banshee Vest, uh, which was one of my favorites on the album. Uh, the song, you know, basically what I, what I thought about, and again, and how it paints these kind of tapestries in my, in my head while I'm listening. I was listening to this song, and like, I want to have this song in my headphones, like when I'm kayaking through the swamp, like early morning in Louisiana in the summer, right? The water is totally placid. Everything is still but you're surrounded by a bunch of interesting things to look at, you know, and it's, and to me, it's like, I was just right there when I was, when I was listening to it. It is such a vibe. It's not like they ever say Banshee beat or Banshee best, but it's Banshee beat. And I agree, even though I literally two moments ago said purple bottle was my favorite and it was my first favorite Banshee beat is my big takeaway from feels a slow build, subtle background drums, there's a trumpet that sort of sneaks in after five minutes and 30 seconds once the verses are done. And it's just, for whatever reason, this subtle little trumpet is so emotional and evocative. And the lyrics um, paint the picture of kind of roaming around in solitude, whether that's a kayak in a Louisiana swamp, like you mentioned, or with headphones late at night, walking around your neighborhood. This is an instance where we actually are a little more forward speaking with, with what we're saying. This really opened the gates for me 
to try to figure out during our listening project, like, why the heck do I like Animal Collective so much? What is it? Is it the weird noises? Animal Collective is sort of the outlier in my go-to bands. But I finally sort of realized that it is this, like, diving deep into your own headspace and trying to describe your emotions without necessarily describing those emotions and the non-judgmental kind of emotional expression that seems like is happening. Maybe if you ask the guys in the band, they would say, yeah, whatever, we're just singing words and making music. It's not that deep. But as someone who's listened to it a lot across a large portion of my adult life, like it does kind of connote that meaning. And I was doing some random reading on Goop because my wife texted me an article about core emotions. And we have reference a little therapy here or there on the podcast it's important to be emotionally intelligent it'll make your life better but anyway the core emotions of sadness fear joy excitement and disgust but our family and our culture kind of determines how we interact and react to those core emotions sometimes things get a little twisted and you learn to suppress your emotions whether you're a young kid Maybe you realize, oh, okay, mom walks out of the room when I cry, so I'm going to try not to cry. But it reminded me of Animal Collective because it seems like you have got to just be ready to lay your heart out and your mind out on the table if you're going to write these songs that don't necessarily have a lot of structure. But somehow, magically, at the end of the day, they just convey so much emotion. With Animal Collective, the allure and the part of their magic is that it's almost like they're putting sounds to how those emotions feel or what those core emotions actually sound like. And this gets into that primal descriptor that we have already mentioned a few times. So shout out to the four homies from high school in Baltimore for somehow tapping into this. And maybe it was the years of just playing noisy horror soundtrack type music in basements in Brooklyn or, or, or whatever they had going on. But that is one of the things that I think is so unique is that deep emotional connection where if you're like me, you've listened to them for a long time. You don't even want to know what the actual lyrics are because you've already got your own sort of core set of what they mean and, and what they mean more specifically to you. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because it did strike me more than once that the members of this band could not have gotten together with people that they did not trust deeply and do this. It does require, you know, an amount of vulnerability that most people are very uncomfortable with to be able to do something like this. And I agree with you. I think that, you know, the the word primal, I think, is very appropriate when listening to this, because this is something that, you know, when the, when the singer wants to scream, they scream. Listening to this was very much like watching my toddler go around and do what she does you know and again i mean it's like i i hope that that doesn't sound insulting because i don't mean it that way i more i more mean it that if she's happy she smiles if she's sad she cries if she is angry she yells if she wants something she points at it until we get it you know i mean like she it's very just raw and i think that really comes across with this music that it's very very raw but one of the things that you mentioned was it wasn't what they're saying it's more the you know i guess the the harmony with which how with how they're singing it yeah, and whether you're a grown-up reading a Goop article like me or you're Stella, you know, being a toddler or shout-out to Charlie, my own little monster, but there's really some value in feeling your feelings, honoring those feelings, not being ashamed of them, but basically processing those emotions. And this could be 
meaning that I've totally built up that doesn't have anything to do with the band, but that's definitely one of my big takeaways and I think why I've loved the band for for so long. And also, when you're avoiding specific lyrics, like that's a great way to avoid being trite and that that primal feel, even if you're kind of saying gibberish, it it has longevity and it really uh, contributes to, I think, a long lasting product. But at any rate, all right, there was our. Well, and no, I mean, you know, I'm, I actually I want to stick with this for just a second longer. <laughs> therapy continues. <laughs> right, therapy continues. Because, like, to me, if that was the band's intention or it wasn't the band's intention, like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, I remember, I mean, people will argue, I mean, straight up argue online, you know to a degree that where people get really upset about the meaning behind Beatles lyrics, right? And then you hear you hear John Lennon and, and Paul McCartney talk about it and they're like, yeah, it wasn't that it wasn't that serious. You know, and, and like they didn't have the intent of it being this deep thing, but but Beatles fans have this such an emotional connection to, you know, to the lyrics and and so I mean to me it's like I mean who, you know, I don't care what the intent of it was. It's like if it got me to that place, I'm cool with it. Was it REM that did not include lyrics in their liner notes because they didn't want folks to necessarily like, you know, be stuck with the words that the band was singing as opposed to what they heard? And that also reminds me of uh, read recently Robert Hunter saying, yeah, I wrote these songs, you know, lyricists for a lot of the Garcia songs and the Grateful Dead. He said, but they take on a life of their own. And what they mean to me when I wrote them is not what they mean to the fans of the music. It's just not how it works. Yeah, I think so. You know, and, and one of the things that uh, the, the Tom Marshall, the lyricist for Fish, talks about, it's now a new podcast called Undermine. Before that, he had a podcast called Under the Scales. And one of the things that they did is they would do a deep dive into the lyrics of certain Fish songs, but he's the one that wrote them when people would come up to him and meet him in public and ask him, oh, you know, like this song, like, is this what you meant by that? And he would always just answer in the affirmative, no matter what it was that they said, because if that's what it meant to them, then that was, then that's what it meant. Like in his mind, he was like, who cares what I thought about it? If that's what it did for you, then great. Let's, let's have it be that. One, I think it's a very humble approach, which I, which I, I can dig. But I mean, I think that that's a great, you know, kind of ethos for life right like it you know like doesn't matter like who cares what the intent was if it's if that's what it's doing for you then then you know then then let it be great 100 percent, totally agree whatever it means to you is is the most important aspect of of what it means uh well hey let's finish up feels we've been talking about a lot of feels i guess the band did their job here uh we do <laughs> we do wrap up with some energy into uh turn into something and I, I love the fact that feels just has a little more a little more adrenaline at times That is a good uh, jumping off point to head into 2007 Strawberry Jam. This is my intro into the band. I remember being on a date in a coffee shop in Hillsborough Village in Nashville with Jamie, now wife, but one of our first dates. And I saw the Alt Weekly in Nashville, the Nashville scene with the cover of Strawberry Jam, this like macerated strawberry. It almost looks like it's rotting or something but i was like what is this and i read a review thought cool i think i'll give this a listen and that's how i got into animal collective 
I love it because it's got that rhythmic undercurrent that we got into on feels and it's, it's got some of those outbursts, those vocal outbursts, but they're juxtaposed with really sweet vocal harmonies. And amidst all this crazy chaos, this noisy industrial video gamey quality, there are big hooks that from time to time briefly emerge and then kind of vanish and step back into the layers of sound. I watched the video for Peace Bone on YouTube. Disturbing. It's like the scene in Aliens where an alien comes out of the alien's mouth. That's the video. It's weird. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I do recommend the song. I think it's a great start to the album. You know, it started out with like this fuzzy, manipulated, almost 80s video game sound uh, and, and an overdriven guitar. I could best describe it as almost like an anxiety type sound. The thought that I had when I was listening to this first track was I really bet that like Trent Reznor is really into this. A peace got found in the dinosaur wing. Well, I was jumping all over from my fuels and slowly shrinking. I was a jugular vein in a juggler's girl. I mean, it sounds like there's a monster, like as one of the sound layers, like snarling. And, you know, the lyrics reference this monster in a maze. So you're right. I mean, the sounds just get weird right off the bat here in Peace Bone. And, you know, when I think Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails, I think kind of aggressive. And this is aggressive at times. <laughs> that said, I was playing Peace Bone while I was making dinner a couple weeks ago and my wife or she was there at the beginning of my animal collective fandom was like, wow, you got to turn this off, dude. I don't, I don't know if I can handle this. And peace bone is to her credit is, this, this is a pretty, pretty weird, weird track. Uh, this was their major label debut on Domino. AV tear is the sneaky MVP of the album. The vocals kind of hold everything together, even with all the disparate sounds and layers and samples his vocals really bring everything together. And this was well-received. This ended up being Pitchfork's number six album of the year in 2007. It got a 9.3 rating, which is even higher than the last couple that we talked about. Now, the weird thing, John, is that Panda Bear earlier in 2007 had released Person Pitch. He had a couple solo albums under his belt, but Person Pitch was the album of the year for Pitchfork in 2007 got an even higher 9.4 rating and that ties in to that beach boy dreamy layered sound filled with samples like pet sounds but on like a in a in the middle of like a fever dream so in 2007 they were on the rise but also like already kind of getting close to the top of the mountain other albums happening in this year in rainbows came out this year radiohead was just like yeah whatever download it for free we don't care pay what you want I will never forget the release of In Rainbows. Nuts. It came out of nowhere. Nobody knew it was happening. And it was like a pay what you want. I remember thinking like, well, I mean, I guess I could just give them a dollar and, you know, and listen to this. And then I was like, no, <laughs> like, I don't want to be the guy that gives them a dollar. So I think I, I think I paid like 15 bucks for the album or something like that. But, but yeah, I think anybody that's our age will be able to tell you where they were when, you know, when they found out about In Rainbows. Uh, you're talking to a guy who 
probably paid a dollar at the time. Uh, so I'm, I've given Radiohead a lot of my money before then and, and since then. So it's, it's, it's okay. We're even, but LCD sound system had a big album this year. Uh, this was back when MIA, uh, the rapper was uh, really, really a big deal, which is still important. And of Montreal, wackadoodles from Canada, who I also kind of tended to love during this time frame. Uh, they were also important in the indie scene. So lots happening musically. Uh, we get into what I think is a really, really nice little stretch in the album in Chores for Reverend Green and Fireworks. Love all three of these songs, but chores, it's kind of like a little bit of a slap in the face here. There's a lot happening as we, you know, flip over to track three. This was, this was the first song that I heard that probably had like the, that was like in your face from the, from the jump, right? You know, you're immediately greeted with like a cascade of up-tempo rhythmic drumming and like a myriad of just these really complex, complex sounds. I, I definitely noticed that the vocals are much more pronounced in this album, all the music is challenging to listen to for, for the listener. When I say challenging to listen to, I don't mean that it's bad. I just mean that it's like, it requires, it requires something of the listener. This is not to your point. You can't put this on while you're, while you're making dinner and really take this in in the way that I think it was intended to be consumed. Yeah, they actually repeat the phrase I counted the other day, and they repeat if I, if I, if I, if I, if I, 40 times in the middle of this song. So to, to, you know, go with your point about it being a little challenging, especially if it's just casual listening music. Some of the stuff that, that I listened to before this, like with, with, with Fish and with Grateful Dead, kind of at their most odd, I think kind of helped prepare me for, for some of this. And not that they ever really sounded that way, but just that, it prepares you for the idea that very, very odd and non-traditional things can, can be made into music. Strawberry Jam is Animal Collective Summer 95 Tour. Boom, just had that thought, but it makes total sense. <laughs> little challenging, little out there. We're going to smooth things out down the road and keep the same, you know, great ideas. But this is, yes, the germination of a lot of really cool sounds and vibes here. Uh, for Reverend Green, which was uh, another one of the singles with Peacebone, A.V. Tear can also sing. Dude has got some pipes. Pretty beautiful from one moment to the next. A thousand wasted Brooklyners are depressed. That's a 2007 indie music lyric for you. But then he also <laughs> sprinkles in those uh, screams and the range that he covers on this album is just really really impressive and there's just so many other layers of sound you know that are always happening with these songs so it's kind of a lot to to ingest and digest at once but it does give all of this music a lot of longevity You know, for sure. And I found myself right off the bat, again, with this track, scratching my head and wondering how in the world did they make that sound? 
And as somebody who has spent a very small amount of time recording music and who has enthusiastically but poorly played music my entire life, you know, I look at some of these things and I wonder how in the world was that accomplished? And that was one of the things I really enjoyed about Animal Collective was hearing some of the sounds that they made and really spending time thinking about like, how, how could they have made that happen? How did they make that noise? That's something that has always been compelling to me about music. When there's some when there's some odd sound that kind of comes out of nowhere, to wonder how it was made. And Animal Collective, Animal Collective throughout the entire catalog made me do that. But this song had me in that headspace almost right away. And then we get into Fireworks, which is my favorite track, or at least was my favorite track. I'd have to think about it, I suppose. But it's the banger on Strawberry Jam. It's melodic. It's noisy. The percussion is kind of setting the tone sing-songy vocal chorus also really influences what this song sounds like and the outburst just that punctuate the song to me feel like a soundtrack just for life for living your life whether it's noisy or frenetic or things are going well or things are going poorly uh, for whatever reason the song has always really resonated with me can see that and this was probably the most accessible vocals that i've heard up until this point uh, it almost sounds like the snare drum has like a leslie or a phaser effect on it and about three and a half minutes into this song justin i noticed this like really high-pitched keyboard sound that was underlaid and i remember thinking man that was perfect which is kind of this band in a nuts nutshell things that you're not expecting that have been put together in a way that somehow make music and that may not sound like a positive review but it very much is I guess the deal with Animal Collective in a holistic sense is that, the, is that it's just really esoteric music. And I've, I've mentioned that before, but this is not really for everybody. And, you know, and, and I don't think that it's intended to be for everybody. Uh, but this was the song where I think that it started to click for me. And I, and I started to feel like I kind of got it. And it was that one little part, that one little keyboard underlay where I excitedly was like, yes, you know, like that was it. It can be, I guess, the tiniest of sparks that can, that can light the fire. Even though this album was super critically acclaimed and their popularity was rising, you know, they're not playing in apartments in Brooklyn. They're playing to shows with a thousand people at this point in 2007. Their first big television appearance was on Conan. And they played what at the time I was like the worst song on Strawberry Jam. And that is a track called Number One. It's a great track. It's just kind of more of a vibe or a palette. But to go on Conan, make your network TV debut, not play either of the singles is, I feel like, a, a good glimpse into what this band is. They always wanted to march to the beat of their own drummer and just kind of be true to themselves. And you can stand in the spotlight, but still kind of stubbornly do your own thing. And the fans that you've made along the way are probably going to stand with you, even though I do remember reading online that people, myself included, were like, what the heck? You went on Conan and you didn't play fireworks? Who okayed this? But that's Animal Collective. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, and again, we talked about Trailblazers and the Funkadelic episode. I mean, and this is certainly, I, I really see a lot of parallels between Funkadelic and Animal Collective in the sense that there's a lot of, you know, there's a rotating cast of, you know, of characters that happen with Animal Collective. And it was a little bit different in Funkadelic in that there was so many additional people and that the lineup changed, you know, year to year, whereas Animal Collective is essentially the same people, just in different combinations. But it's also something where it's like they just did their own thing. A lot of what I like about Animal Collective is a lot of what they're doing with their percussion and with their drumming. Winter Wonderland is, is no is no exception to that. I like the song right away. You know, there's just a ton of cool things that are happening underneath. Really cool drumming. You know, I really dug the keyboard sound that was on there, and all the other sounds and noises that they choose to, that they chose to fill in the gaps with were were great. Last couple of songs on Strawberry Jam uh, really grew on me as I redove back into the band's material. Uh, it's a one-two punch of Avi Tear and Panda Bear. Cuckoo, Cuckoo is Avi Tear. There's delicate repetitious piano with naturally some screams and thunderous drums and i think the lyrics are about loss but it feels cathartic And then we move into the album closer, which is called Derek. And it just mesmerized me back in the day. The organic percussion, it's got these hazy, angelic panda bear lyrics and repetitive tribal kind of a drum line, which invokes a trance. But it's just a really great point counterpoint to finish off Strawberry Jam of the strengths of AV Tear and Panda Bear. Unlike some tongs, uh, this finishes on a really strong note. Like we're crossing the finish line with some speed here. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like the last two tracks, and you know, with uh, with what is it, cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how you pronounce it. Um, but you know, I immediately thought of that song, "A Spoonful Weighs a Ton," that's on the Flaming Lips, uh, the soft bulletin. And you know, again, this music really made me think of a lot of other music as I was listening to it which is a hallmark that I've found something that I like, you know, in that album, I really hope that one day that we do a flaming lips, uh, deeper listening because that's a oh, band that I, that twist I really my arm. like. Oh, oh, I'd hate to do that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean the flaming lips, the, with the, the soft bulletin is probably one of my top 10 favorite albums that I've ever heard ever any genre of all time. Like I, I love that record. So for, for something to make me think of that, I think is uh, is definitely a good sign. And then with Derek, you know, mesmerizing, I think was what you said. I think that's a great way to put it. What a, what a great way to wrap up the album. And then we move into Meriwether post pavilion. 
Have you ever seen a show there? I have not. Ah, that's not too, too far from you. It's not. It, to be honest, it's, it's a hole in my resume and, and show going. Like there's, there's absolutely no reason for me to have not gone to that venue, but I've never been. I don't want to plug my side project, my person pitch, but I just did an episode of Fishery Caps where I talk about September 17th, 2000, which is a Meriwether Post Pavilion, probably the best show of fall 2000 tour. And that's in contrast with the show that they played, Fish played in the summer in 99, which was one of my least favorite shows because they just mailed it in at MPP. But I finally saw an MPP show in summer of 2018 and it was fun. I mean, it's like any other amphitheater, but because these guys are from Maryland, they, you know, grew up seeing shows at Meriwether Post Pavilion. And that is why they named this album uh, as such. And I think the rumor was that they were going to play Meriwether Post Pavilion after this album came out. They weren't that big, but they did eventually end up playing it a couple years later. I'm sure it was maybe some kind of more of a festival situation. If Strawberry Jam is a home run, and in my opinion, it is, Meriwether Post Pavilion critically is a ninth inning grand slam. 9.6 rating from Pitchfork, the album of the year from Pitchfork. Pretty sure it was also the indie album of the year from Entertainment Weekly. Not that we care too, too much. Uh, And Spin, I believe, back in 2009, gave this the album of the year honors. They worked with a quote-unquote real producer for the first time. These are homegrown guys, but they, you'll notice a little more bass in Meriwether Post Pavilion. They worked with a friend of a friend who had bona fide like hip-hop cred. He was an engineer for the Bad Boy record label, Puff Daddy, Diddy, Sean Combs. Okay. Uh, and then he was a producer right. in Atlanta for Gnarls Barkley, which is Danger Mouse and CeeLo Green. Yeah. But like a guy who... Okay, you know, now you're, you're, you're speaking my language with that one. I, uh, a lot of that Atlanta stuff that Danger Mouse did, I'm very much into. Right, good stuff, but you can hear that low end get a little more emphasis on Meriwether Post Pavilion. So even though the band, you know, they're Panda Bears in Portugal, A.V. Terra, I think most of them were still living in, in Brooklyn, but now A.V. Terra lives in North Carolina in Asheville. But they go to Oxford, Mississippi, uh, to the Sweet Tea Recording Studio, and they just hole up and do their own thing. Even though it's hard to tell, Sonically, I guess they were still using kind of traditional instruments on some of their earlier albums to kind of do the forming process, uh, but no instruments here. This was all samples. Panda Bear had gotten even more into DJing and electronic music, uh, so there's less noise to Meriwether Post Pavilion, and to me that makes it feel like a almost a little bit watered down i don't mean that in like a a bad sense even though that is sort of a negative phrase you just don't have those noisy jarring outbursts that we got used to on feels and especially on strawberry jam but i also think that that's directly tied into the wide appeal of meriwether post pavilion and this was a big album that garnered animal collective lots and lots of new fans it starts kind of quietly and draws you in with In the Flowers before, boom, you get hit on the head halfway through with not screams from A.V. Terra, but pulsing synth sounds and I believe some crashing cymbals. So we've still got that quiet noise, quiet noise element to kind of grab people.
other albums I had to listen to them multiple times before I felt like I kind of like dialed in and, and, it, and it clicked and I got it and it wasn't that, that way with this one I kind of felt like I, I understood what was going on in you know at least somewhat in the way that they were trying to present it right away you know so and I think that maybe because they were using samples as opposed to instrumentation that they focused a little bit more on, on melody as opposed to just the harmony that was going on and that and that came across to me right away that it was that the album itself seemed more melodic than than the other albums that, that I had listened to up until this point. And I think that's evidenced in track two, My Girls, which is their most famous song. It's got a singable chorus and um, like a sweet theme to it. I don't know, this is kind of a weird indie electronic influence sort of dad rock anthem. You just want to take care of your family. This album, to me, feels like it kind of stands alone in the catalog, in that it's it's different than anything else that I've heard them do, and not that not that they really kept it the same, you know, from album to album to begin with. But this album did feel like okay, maybe maybe they have a little bit more, you know, quote unquote mature things that are that are going on because this album felt like a more mature version of what you know of, of what they had done up until this point. The next track, also frightened, you know, it's it's a little bit disorienting to get started, but I think that disorienting is kind of a good way to describe the overall band for me. You know, it, it was it's it's kind of a challenge. Um, it was challenging, you know, it, it it made me really reconsider what I considered to be true about what makes music. You know, at one point they were sampling an accordion. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there was an accordion, maybe not. I'm not sure, but it sounded <laughs> like it. You know, who knows? Um, but I do like the vocals on the song too. It's like they really, they really set a mood and they fit the music well. You know, and then they get into summertime clothes, um, which to me, it almost had like a like an EDM kind of feel to it. You know, it feels like I've never been hypnotized, but I would imagine that this is what hypnosis feels like. It's like the move, the music is moving you forward and you really don't understand how or why. And at some point I've read a panda bear referencing repetition and how it can transport you into a trance-like state. And that definitely comes across at times here, uh, particularly in summertime clothes. Uh, I really like daily routine. And this is a great little nutshell for the band because it starts with these little blips of like an organ. Uh, And again, back to the samples, instruments, who knows, but all of a sudden, you know, we get these big bursts of sounds and we go from a little trickle of sound to a huge anthem over the course of just a minute or two. Oh, 
it changes. It almost starts as a as an AV tear song with these bursts of noise and then transitions into a panda bear kind of meditation by the end of the track. Where I think that some stuff that on some tongs um, and feels to me almost felt juvenile in some ways. And I don't mean that like in musicianship, more just in its erratic nature. Um, this sounds more grown up. It's more structured. And I can understand like how that might make the rabid fan base uncomfortable or make them feel like that it was that it was watered down a bit. I will say that the midsection of this album is pretty chill. Bluish, guy's eyes, and taste. And that's not a cover of the fish song taste. But we've lost the noise from Strawberry Jam, but we still are repeating and imitating what they've always done, which is getting into those repetitive drones, kind of a little bit of a shoegaze quality without just the sheets of guitar noise. Unlike those chill stretches on earlier albums like Sung Tongs and Feels, each of these chill tracks stands on its own and has a lot of layers and has some momentum and has a little bit of musical eye candy going on. So not bad. It's just not quite as chaotic and like punch a wall uh, as Strawberry Jams is kind of grown up, like you were saying. Yeah, you know, it's just it's it seems like there's just like less anxiety to to the music overall, you know, and 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 taste I think is another good example of that. You know, I perked up on and listened to this the first time that it came on. You know, there's the obvious things that are happening, like the like the droning bass drum, uh, and then you have what sounds like almost like video game like synthesizer sounds. When you pay attention to the vocal harmony, you realize that there's like there's like jingle bells at the same time. And then you hear what almost sounds like it might be a clap track, you know, and then it sounds like somebody's blowing into a glass bottle. And then there's another synthesizer sound. And then there's this really long siren from a fire engine or something like that. And then you realize that there's actually somebody saying, you know, am I really all the things that are outside of me? You know, and it's just on and on and on and on. And it's like one thing after another, after another, and layered and layered and layered. And it's like, you know, how can you listen to this only once? Yeah, repeated listens are definitely a big help. And this is an example of, you know, the next day at work, you'll be humming and singing to yourself, am I really all the things that are outside of me? And without the music playing, and someone will walk up to you and be like, uh, sir, are you okay? Everything everything going all right here? <laughs> yeah, man, you, you, did, you did a glass of water? <laughs> Yeah, you know, like this band and this song, you know, it's just an onion. You know, you just got to keep peeling back the layers. And we're going to peel back another layer and get to the didgeridoo layer because that is featured on Lying in a Coma. Wait, are we lying in a coma or are we like an animal lion in a coma? That's how the track <laughs> is written out. Or being untruthful in a, in a coma. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> See, it could mean a lot of things. And Funkadelic taught us that funk can come from any instrument yeah it doesn't matter it's animal collectives doing doing the same thing here uh, they just fold this didgeridoo into their sonic palette and i really like the push pull of like the deep bass which is something that is lacking on the prior albums which you know is the i think contribution of that hip-hop oriented producer that they brought in 
for MPP. You get that deep bass, and it is really powerful. It kind of wraps you up and just sort of tees you up to be grabbed by the rhythmic lyrics, the line in a coma, line in a coma. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the bass line called me right away on this one. You know, like all of their songs, there's just a lot of cool things that are happening. You know, I, I, what I definitely like is the way that the band layered sonic textures to the beat. I guess they, they go from this song and then they go into a song called No More Running, right? And it's, you know, it, like other songs on this album, it's it's less frantic, you know, and to me, it's just a lot more patient the way that they put it all together. Um, you know, the vocals don't seem quite as muddy as they, as they typically have been in the past. No more on this track that I remembered reading somewhere that they've also done movie scores and I was like oh that really makes a lot of sense which seems like the kind of thing that would just give you loads and loads of patience if you you know are getting into music music soundtracking for sure yeah no more running is cool pretty chill and then they finish on what is an exclamation point for me brother sport Oh, just love it. That's one Animal Collective song where you say Brother Sport and in my head I start singing the opening lyrics. Open up your, open up your, open up your throat. Open up your, open up your, open up your throat. I let the all of that time, all of that time, all of that time go. I know it sucks that daddy's dumb. I try to think of what you want. You got to open up your, open up your, open up your throat. Open up your, open up your, open up your, open up your, open up your this is what I imagine a rave at its best perhaps would sound like this brother sport really nice finish to this album uh, interesting Deacon the fourth member uh, he's not on this album and I've read plenty online it's always a little mysterious as to why Deacon is sort of coming and going from the fray but I think that after MPP exploded I mean the band was headlining festivals this like i said before was a grand slam uh for him to just not be a part of this for whatever the reason was i think that would be kind of a tough adjustment if you recorded a solo episode of deeper listening podcast and it got ten thousand downloads it'd be like oh okay i'm happy for you (laughs) i'm happy for you but come on man like was it me (laughs) <laughs> but the fact that you know, this weird avant-garde noise band from Baltimore and Brooklyn who was releasing albums on their own label in the early 2000s, now they're the most important indie band in the world, at least at this point in time in 2009. That's not an understatement. That's not conjecture. That's the way that the scene was at this point in time. But like we talk about with our favorite band from Vermont, it was an organic building. They have experience of kind of doing their own thing and not trying to keep everyone happy. But I got the sense that when they were touring for Meriwether Post Pavilion, 
they had people show up who just wanted them to play My Girls probably 10 times in a row. So the fact that they were doing these noisy experiments and playing earlier material and you know working on new material, there was definitely like an adjustment period. You know, I just can't imagine that this band could have possibly been prepared for the amount of success that this album brought them. You know, and, and to go from this, you know, super esoteric, like you said, you know, avant-garde band, you know, from Brooklyn to all of a sudden they're headlining festivals playing a style of music that literally nobody's ever heard before you know um i mean what a what a cool thing to do you know and this particular album for me it just overall it felt more patient it was much easier for me to connect to this you know on the first listen through i couldn't tell you whether or not i like this one or strawberry jam more because i really i did like both of those you know they were they were definitely up until the point of listening to this they were definitely number one and number two interchangeably you know and then and then you know we got it we got into the next album yeah, well, let's get into it. 2012, skip forward a couple of years, uh, Centipede Hurts. And I mentioned earlier, this was like when Radiohead uh, went from OK Computer, which everybody universally loved, to Kid A, which was a grower and not a shower at first. And Centipede Hurts, <laughs> you know, after a string of nine point something ratings from Pitchfork, we fall back to earth and this gets a 7.4 rating i have always dug this album i just really loved animal collective and i was excited to hear some new material um but it is frenetic and it's got a way heavier sound than merryweather post pavilion it's more aggressive it's more dense it reminds me a lot of strawberry jam as opposed to mpp but i was pleasantly surprised that i don't think you hated this album what did you think of it I did go ahead and look at how albums were rated before listening to them, which I typically try not to do because I don't want it to influence, you know, I don't want it to have any influence over how I feel about the album. I can say unequivocally, this was my favorite of all the albums that we listened to. What? It wasn't, it wasn't even close. What? So, you know, yeah. So I saw that you had put on, uh, on Twitter, that you know that that you like this album, you know, is the only people who like this album more than you are the people in the band, and I think that I might actually be the <laughs> exception to that. I just really, really dug it. I mean, right away, instruments are back, which I thought was great. Um, you know, it has like a almost like a tool type vibe right at the beginning from the first track with these like distorted bass chords that are going on. You know, I don't know that there's a single song of theirs that I connected with quicker than the opening track on this album. You know, if earlier Animal Collective made me want to kayak down a lonely bayou at sunrise, you know, this makes me want to jump out of an airplane. You know, the energy is completely different. Admittedly, I, I have no idea what they're talking about in any of, in any of their lyrics. And I, I've never really, you know, I never really got to a place to where I paid attention to those. I was too busy, you know, trying to wrap my mind around other things that were happening. It, you know, this is the, now the, the fourth or fifth time I've listened to this album. I've only liked it more every time that I've listened to it. And if Animal Collective fans, you know, tend to not be big fans of this, then they're probably not going to like this take very much. But it was by far my favorite of their albums that, that we listened to. Yeah, you mentioned that Moonjock made you think about flying in an airplane. It makes me think about flying to a distant galaxy in a UFO, ready to like <laughs> kick some alien. But the album literally starts off with the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 countdown. And it's like, whoa, what's going on here? This is intense. It almost sounds like you know, you're existing in radio waves traveling through outer space or something.
I think that, yeah, the two tracks that open up Centipede Hurts, Moonjock, uh, and today's Supernatural, which I think is probably one of my favorite tracks on the whole album. Just a, a great thesis statement for, hey, you liked Meriwether Post Pavilion. Uh, we're going to hold on to some of those ideas, but we got to change. we got to evolve, and we're going in a heavier direction. Deacon is back on Centipede Hertz. I don't know if that creates to the density of the sound. This is definitely more of an AV tear album uh, with respect to how it's influenced versus a Panda Bear album. He's, he's on here, uh, especially notable in a couple of tracks. But I really like how his voice, A.V. Terry's voice, will just spill over into a casual scream. You find something you believe that you should do. Sometimes it won't come so easy, but sometimes you got to go get mad. Got to go get mad. Come on, let, 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 let go. Like, come on, let, 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 let go. It's just kind of emotional gibberish, but it works for me, and it just connects with me on some sort of a deep level. I love how unencumbered he is by, oh, people are watching me. Maybe I shouldn't freak out and spastically sing these words as loud as I can. But he does it, and it's great. Yes, it is. And, you know, I liked both the opening track and this one quite a bit. I liked him right away. Um, it did not take multiple listens for me to feel like I got it. But, you know, that being said, I can obviously see how, if you're a big fan of Animal Collective, that you might listen to this and kind of feel betrayed by what's going on. Because there is a little bit more structure to this. This does seem a little bit more like, for lack of a better way to put it, it seems a little bit more like rock music. You know, as a new listener to the band, I feel like this is the entry point. If you're trying to get somebody who hasn't heard Animal Collective before, but who is into rock music, that maybe this is the album that you started out with. If I had started with this album, I think that the other albums would have let me down. You know what I mean? Uh, because because they would have been because they would have been so different. When you texted me after you listened to Sung Tongs, or maybe it was a, a note that you had written, I could tell you were like, "What in the hell have you gotten me into?" So it really makes me happy that uh, yeah, it, it peaked at the end here. You finished the Animal Collective race really strong. I mean, if I went to go see this band live and they opened up the show, the first two songs of the show were the first two songs in this album. Like, how could anybody in the audience not just be completely hyped at the end of that? You know, and then they go into this song, Applesauce, right? And it's the first time where, and this is the first time for me personally that I was listening where I was like, wait a second, is that a hook? Like, is there actually a hook in the song? <laughs> You know, honestly, I think this is what I've been wanting to hear from this band since starting to do the project. I don't know if it's just like we were tired of riding the Animal Collective, our geniuses sort of train for the years from 2005 to 2007 to 2009. It's like everything that's in favor is going to fall out of favor eventually. And I think that that has something to do with it. But I think so many of these tracks are, are pretty great. We get a Deacon song. For years, I was like, is that Avitaire or is that Panda Bear? I don't know. And you can usually tell the difference. But this is a Deacon song. And it's actually pretty 
pretty solid song, Wide-Eyed. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I loved it. And, and there was the synth followed the bass line, and that felt really different for me. You know, like, typically the synth is off doing its own thing, and the bass line is doing its own thing. And, and with these, they link those two those two up a bit, and you know, which, which I liked right away. And again, it kind of lends itself to the sound being a little bit more structured. And then they, they take that into Father Time. You know, and this song had what I can only describe as like a real, like, primacy bass tone. And it's the only time I've ever heard that bass tone, not in a Primus song. Um, you know, I also instantly like that track and I can under, I can understand the lyrics pretty clearly. Um, and with basically no effort, which is absolutely a first of any of these, anything that we've listened to is to be able to immediately understand exactly what they're saying. In the lyrics. You know, the more that I listen to this album, the more that, you know, the more that I can't believe that, that more people aren't into it. And maybe, I mean, hopefully after this podcast that, you know, the people that listen to it, hopefully they'll chime in and say, yeah, we really do like this one. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to hold out a lot of hope for that. <laughs> you know, I think this is probably going to be the one where I get hate mail. I don't know. I just, I, I, it's hard for me to not continue to say a lot of great things about this album. I just really liked it. I will return to this one the most of any of them. Basketball phrase, ball don't lie. It's like ears don't lie. I mean, if you like it, you like it. I like it. I have always thought that the run from Fields to Strawberry Jam to Meriwether Post Pavilion is an incredibly impressive three album stretch. And I've seen those conversations on Twitter. People like Stephen Hyden, I think have said that, or maybe I said it to him. I don't know. But I always want to tack on Centipede Hertz and say, this is a really impressive four album stretch that they've got going on. Newtown Burnout is one of the few Panda Bear songs. And you can always tell those because there's usually some repetition. It's usually got that kind of like raga, kind of Indian meditative uh, sort of spirit to it. Uh, But what's really cool is that it segues perfectly into the next av tear song uh which is called monkey riches and monkey riches even gets going like 15 seconds before the end of the Newtown burnout track it reminded me it was like oh cool uh, these guys are dead fans this is like the china writer of animal collective here and i just they're not just coming up with individual tracks and then putting them on an album randomly like they're building into each other which is definitely something that comes from their live shows because they'll play a song know that they're going to play another song but the five minutes in between is going to be kind of a mind melt where anything can happen
of music fan that I am, I love a good segue. You know, there's nothing <laughs> in live music when, you know, when you go see, um, you know, especially jam bands, but even non-jam bands sometimes will we'll find ways to, you know, I guess if, if one song ends on a C and the next song, you know, the first chord of the song is a C, they'll find a way to, to bridge that gap a little bit. And I always appreciate that when it happens. But it was, you know, I definitely, it stuck out right away to me on this one that they had, that they had done that very well, you know, at the, at the end of the song. One of the things that I had sort of critiqued about Sung Tongs was that it finished on an unfocused, deconstructed vibe. Well, this is the opposite. Centipede Hurts is another kind of sprint to the finish line. Amanita is the closing track, and it's just a great summation and reflection of how busy the album is, how dense it is. And I thought it was really cool. Even though all of Meriwether Post Pavilion is solid from start to finish, I think that to my ears, Centipede Hurts uh, has fewer pauses, uh, or at least it's got like a, a more energy baked into the whole thing. I'm not saying that this is better than Meriwether Post Pavilion, uh, but it seems like there are fewer lulls. <laughs> Hot take from John. Yeah, I'll say it's better than Meriwether Post. I mean, I, you know, and I mean, that's for me personally, obviously. Now, that said, I understand why Meriwether Post was is as highly regarded as it is. I don't say that I like Centipede Hurts more than Meriwether Post as a dig on Meriwether Post because I still think it's a really great album. Um, you know, definitely a groundbreaking style album. But it's just for me, you know, for my personal taste, Centipede Hurts was was much more much more in my wheelhouse, I guess. Nice. Well, that wraps up Centipede Hurts. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get to do another podcast about Animal Collective. And I've been training for this since I was 26 <laughs> years old in 2007. So I need to throw a couple of random thoughts at you. You have the floor. Thank you. They had a couple of EPs uh, at the height of their success, which uh, we would encourage new fans like yourself to check out and longtime fans will know what I'm talking about. Water curses. Can I jump in really quickly? Because I actually did not realizing that the EPs were not a part of the project. Um, I did listen to um, what was the fall, something about fall, fall, be kind, fall, be kind. And I will say that if that had been in the mix with all of these albums, I would have ranked that one. Number two, I thought fall, be kind was spectacular. I loved it. That's impressive. That came out after Meriwether Post Pavilion. I actually like Water Curses, which came out between Strawberry Jam and Meriwether Post Pavilion, even more than Fall Be Kind. But Fall Be Kind is super cool because it contains the first licensed Grateful Dead sample ever used by a band. They got permission to use a little snippet of Phil's vocals from Unbroken Chain which is a song that I've long been obsessed with. They mix that sample up. So it's Phil saying, what would I want sky? Which he never says in the original song. I had no idea that was Phil. <laughs> yeah. Why would you? <laughs> no, yeah. Full disclosure. I had no idea that I was listening to a Grateful Dead sample when I, until you just said that.
Well, I remember hearing that when it came out and like, I cannot wait to listen to What Would I Want Sky. And I listened, I was like, uh, what? I, I'm not necessarily sure that I know what's <laughs> happening here. So they were definitely, you know, in a prolific period of productivity. Uh, then that big Daft Punk album, no longer a band, unfortunately. Uh, but in 2013, Random Access Memories, Panda Bear is one of the guests. Uh, he's got a track called Doing It Right. I mean, that's a huge album with lots and lots yeah. of guests. But I remember being a little nervous. It's like, oh, how's it going to go? Is this going to be like on Conan <laughs> when we played that weird track number one? But nailed it. Love it. It's a great song that folks should definitely check out. Doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing tonight. Doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Another random thing you've talked about how oh yeah i'd be into seeing these guys live well you can experience what a live animal collective show sounds like you don't even need to bring your earplugs but in 2015 they released an album called live at 9 30 that they recorded at the 9 30 club in dc oh in dc cool it is freaking awesome it's like the live dead of early grateful dead or the without a net of late 80s early 90s grateful dead it is a picture perfect snapshot of what animal collective is like live. They're playing great tracks from across their catalog. I just can't recommend live at nine 30 enough. Those are some random tidbits I want to throw out there. The last thing I'll say is that 2016, uh, they come out with their next studio album. We're not including it as a part of our listening project, but it's called painting with, and it's enjoyable, but it does seem to be confined by pretty rigid structure, almost like an electronic or kind of DJ vibe to it. So it's not as expansive or loud or loose as noisy, uh, but it's definitely rhythmic and it definitely, you know, has some earworms. So I've got to ask you, so I've, I've made it clear what, what my favorite was. How do these albums stack up for you? Like if you had to rank them like one through five, how would that look? It's a tough one because I like them all, but I think to me, I can't, ignore my emotional connection to strawberry jam and it's not just one of those fond like oh this is my i remember where i was and i literally do remember where i was when i came across it but it's got the aspects of animal collective that i love the most primal emotive vocals sort of meshing with the loud drums and cymbal crashes tons of melody, lots of noisy layers. So for me, it's Strawberry Jam. And then I would say Meriwether Post Pavilion, although Fields and Centipede Hurts are really, really close on the heels of Strawberry Jam and MPP. I really love all four of those albums. Even though Fields has a couple of laggy spots, its peaks kind of compensate in my opinion. And I like Sung Tongs, but we've talked enough about how, you know, it kind of coasts in the back half and it's not totally fully formed. So I'm really impressed that you're trusting your ears and saying, hey, I like Centipede Hurts the most. And maybe that opinion will change a little bit, but I have no issues with you saying Centipede Hurts is your favorite Animal Collective album that we've heard. It's 
way, way up there for me, even though it ended up as fourth out of five. Uh, really, it's like one A, B, C, D. It's like one D right. for me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that was, you know, like the first the first three <laughs> Funkadelic albums, you know, one, two and three. It's like they're all so good that, you know, it, it, it can be tough. And I know for me, the way the way that these stacked out, I told you Centipede Hurts was was my favorite and it was my favorite by a pretty large measure. Uh, but then going from there, Meriwether Post Pavilion would be my would be my second pick. And then, you know, followed pretty closely after that by Strawberry Jam. And then I would actually put Sung Tongs uh, in, four, in the four slot uh, because when I went back and listened to it, actually the back half of the album, the more, I guess, loose and, you know, possibly ambient um, structure to the, you know, to the album, I ended up, I ended up really digging. I went back to that one a lot and I would put, uh, I'd put Feels actually in the, in the fifth spot because I felt like it was, you know, I, I liked it, but I felt like it was, to me, I think I had the, the toughest time after multiple listens feeling any kind of a connection to, to that particular album. I can respect that. I may not agree, but I can respect that. And I, <laughs> like I said, I mean, I have had, I've had a long time to warm up to these albums, you know, digest one every couple of years as they came out. Like I said, I went back to Sung Tongs. I was like, what the heck is this crap? But, you know, now I'm a, now I'm a Sung Tongs fan. But kudos to you for taking the deep dive. It's been a while since I've jumped in almost completely blind into a band, you know, and just was able to immerse myself into it. And I, I, it was it was really it was very cool. It was very eye opening. You know, it was it was very much a challenge. You know, it was like it, it was almost like going back to going back to college after, you know, after being away from school for 20 years. You know, it was like there was <laughs> there was some things about it that I found familiar, but a lot of it was just kind of overwhelming, but in a good way. So, yeah. So so thank you so much for the suggestion of Animal Collective. Hey, man, you gave me Funkadelic. I'm giving you Animal Collective. So it all works out. I thought it was pretty fun in our last episode where we sort of uh, teased ahead to what we were going to do next yeah so i think that next time we are going to take on um fiona apple's catalog and i'm really excited about doing that because i was a fan of her first album that came out title um i more or less did not listen to any of the other any of the subsequent albums up until fetch the bolt cutters came out and i was like oh my god like i loved that album and it was you know it it was also rated i think a perfect 10 on, on pitchfork and it was just lauded by all of the music critics. And then of course, snubbed at the Grammys for album of the year, but that's another subject. <laughs> but, you know, that, that album made me want to go back and really, you know, I have listened to all of her albums at some point in time or another. I've listened deeply to Fetch the Bolt Cutters and I've listened deeply to Tidal. Um, so I'm really, really looking forward to going back and listening deeply to, to all of them. I love that uh, debut album. I think I loved Fiona Apple as a high schooler at the end of the 90s. I was smitten with her. And Fetch the Bolt Cutters came out to critical acclaim. I listened to it a couple times through last year. Was a really, really big fan. Was blown away. Read a long New Yorker profile about Fiona Apple. So I feel like I know a little bit more about her as a person uh, than her catalog because I've never heard where she have five albums. So I know number one, I know number five, number two, three, and four are going to be brand new for me. So that's going to be a fun project to tackle. So for now, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and please feel free to leave us a review. Uh, We continue to read those as they come in. So thank you for for leaving those. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter at uh, listen deeper or on Instagram at uh, deeper listening podcast. Uh, We'd love to know what you think, what you like, what you don't. And we will look forward to talking to you next time.
thanks as always to the incredible Thomas Wing for our theme music. Get into a better mood indeed. Check out his Bandcamp page at blackoutmakeout.bandcamp.com. There will be a link in the show notes. We will talk to you next time.